Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm Donna Stair. This is the fourth and final season of our week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. Join us for this final season as we're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, stay tuned and stay cool. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast, and it is our first regular episode since getting back from our epic trip to Cincinnati. And we had a great time. Fantastic time, probably still in Cincinnati mode. Yeah, still, we, I'm wearing we, my chilly, my Cincinnati oh, three-way shirt for the recording today. <laughs> So we are in Cincinnati mode and still kind of pumped up from the trip. Thanks again to everybody that helped out with that. And if you want to hear all about it, check last week's podcast. You can hear all about it. But this week, it's time to get back into the episodes. And what is our episode, Donna? We're ready to talk about rumors. The air date was October 28th, 1981, written by P.J. Tarakvi as Peter Tarakvi. The story editor, Lisa Levin. Executive story consultants, Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman. Directed by Linda Day. Johnny's apartment is being fumigated and he needs a place to stay. Everyone turns him down, except for Bailey. When Johnny spends the night at Bailey's, rumors start around the office they are having an affair. Bailey feels like a hussy and Johnny is just feeling old. He's worried midday man Rex Earhart is trying to take over his morning time slot. At Fade Up, we're going to see our old buddy actor Sam Anderson on the mic in the studio. This is Sam's fourth and sadly final guest star appearance on WKRP. In the first season, Sam portrayed aspiring DJ Mason Noble in the episode Johnny comes back. So you're the program director, right? Right, that's great. I, I get along great with program directors. Uh, there's this guy once who killed seven people. Uh, I still got along with him. I thought he was great. <laughs> in the second season, Sam was holding down the fort in Cincinnati's immigration office in the Americanization of Ivan. Well, look, see, the only person who can grant political asylum is a district head. Cleveland is our district office. It's a lot bigger office than this. They have much nicer desks. They have a carter. In the third season, Sam was a tough-as-nails and completely hilarious in spite of himself secret service agent in the episode Secrets of Dayton Heights. Bless me. A.K.A. the news beacon of the Ohio Valley. In each of the first three seasons, Sam played a one-off, single-scene character we'd never expect to see again. This time out, Sam is giving a face to the often-mentioned Rex Earhart. 
He's playing a regular. This makes us wonder what things might have been like if WKRP had a ninth regular, or at least semi-regular, cast member. Sam seems to work well with the other regular cast members, and his laughs are killer no matter what he's doing. Could you have imagined Sam Anderson every week? It would have been so much fun. It It would have been so much fun. And incorporating Rex into storylines would have been easy. The midday guy is usually there for regular business hours. He comes in at 8.30 or 9 doing show prep. Then he works his four-hour shift. Rex even said he's on 10 to 2. Then he normally stays around until 5. He ends the day with phone calls or prep for the next day's show. Having Rex around for stories would even make more sense than having Venus, the evening guy, hanging out with the morning guy. Rex also has a great weird vibe. As Andy says in this episode, All DJs are crazy. And it's true. Rex's particular brand of crazy would have been a fun addition to the lineup. Although we'd surely take more Sam at any time, we're going to have to be satisfied with what we've got. So here it is. Enjoy Sam Anderson in this final WKRP appearance. And for bio information on Sam, check out our past podcast episodes. It might be a coincidence, but we know how the WKRP writers like to have a basis for their episode titles. We're guessing the title of this one, Rumors, is inspired by the 1977 Fleetwood Mac album of the same name. Although the Mac used the British U in their spelling of rumors, so maybe it's nothing. Open up in the studio, and since we're in the studio, it's time for a poster watch. Yay! This is a big poster episode. We have new ones here, and we'll have a few new ones when we get in the hall outside the studio. Plus, we've got new posters in the programming office. Over the Cincinnati map to the right of the studio door is a picture of three guys with their heads close together. There's a woman standing behind them. This would be Chrissy Hind and The Pretenders promoting Pretenders 2, the much-anticipated follow-up to their debut. Now, the problem with having a hit album and becoming a touring band, there's no time to write. This album included two songs that had been previously released in the UK as singles. It also included another Ray Davies-written song, I Go to Sleep. Stop Your Sobbing from the first album was also written by Davies, but unlike Sobbing, I Go to Sleep had not previously been recorded by the Kinks. the Ray Davies tunes on Pretenders albums? Well, because Chrissy Hind and Ray Davies, they were an item. They were in a turbulent relationship in the early 1980s. They never married, but they did have a daughter together, Natalie Ray Hind. Hind and Davies would split shortly after Natalie was born. Chrissy would then marry Jim Kerr from Simple Minds in 1984. They would also have a daughter, 
Yasmin Paris Kerr in 1985. This is how much of a music geek I was back at that time. I remember the turbulent relationship that she was having with Ray Davies. And I remember reading about when they broke up. And then we were all so happy when she married Jim Kerr from Simple Minds. <laughs> it was like the two bands forming. It was like dynasties coming together. <laughs> Kind of hard to miss. That's Rodney Crowell standing there on the studio door. This is a poster promoting his third album on Warner Brothers, the self-titled Rodney Crowell. Aside from record companies not knowing how to promote this alternative country performer, we aren't sure why he'd be showing up here on WKRP's studio door. Crowell's had 22 albums and dozens of singles in his career, but all on the country charts. This was Crowell's best attempt at crossover success, which might explain why it's here. This album would peak at number 105 on the Billboard Top 200 album chart. An interesting personal note, Rodney was married to Roseanne Cash from 1979 through 1992. He put his solo career on hold after this album so he could work on producing Cash's albums in the early 1980s. So that's all the new stuff in the studio. We will have more when we get out in the hallway, but right now... Let's see who that is behind the mic. Well, Johnny and Les are in the studio. We find Rex Earhart is just starting his midday shift. And a good good morning to you. It's 10.06. You've got your husband off to work, your kids off to school. So it's just you and me. (sighs) (laughs) Me? I'm Rex. Rex pours some water into a glass as he holds the mic down to catch this sound effect. Rex Earhart, and I'll be with you till two. So come on, let's you and me have a bath together with the Ian Thomas band. Les is smiling at Johnny as Rex begins playing the song Tinkerbell by the Ian Thomas band. Rex turns to look at Johnny. Johnny gives him an awkward smile and turns to leave the studio behind Les. You said you were kind of getting a creepy vibe off of Rex. Yes, his voice just kind of (laughs) makes my hairs on, you know, stand on end. And when he talks about you and me have a bath together. Okay, I'm switching stations. Now, you can't see a label, but the distinctive shape and color of Rex's water bottle is a pretty strong indicator. He's drinking Perrier. It's spelled like terrier with a P instead of a T. Perrier is a sparkling mineral water that comes from a naturally carbonated spring in Verges, France. The spring, where it comes from, was long known as Le Bouillens. It was used, and uh, <laughs> apologies for my pronunciation, it was used as a spa going back to the time of the Roman Empire. The spring was purchased by local Dr. Louis Perrier in the late 1800s. It was probably Louis. Louis Perrier. Wealthy newspaper heir St. John Harmsworth bought the spring from Perrier and closed the spa. Is there any more British a name than St. John Harmsworth? It was Harmsworth who started bottling the water in 1898, keeping Perrier's name on the spring and the water. The distinctive green bottles were designed to resemble the Indian clubs Harmsworth used for exercise. 
In 1992, Perrier was purchased by Nestle. Today, Perrier is available in 140 countries, and they sell more than 1 billion bottles annually. And there was one right there on Rex's counter. The naturally sparkling thirst quencher for good, healthy reasons. Perrier. It's refreshing, it's natural, and it doesn't have one single calorie. Imported Perrier. It goes with good food. It's what I drink instead of a cocktail. Refreshing Perrier. It quenches my thirst completely. The carbonation's natural. Perrier, the naturally sparkling thirst quencher. Bottled in France. Enjoy it in good health. Have you ever had Perrier? I have, just a couple of times, and it's I consider it a touch gross. I didn't like it. <laughs> I've never tried it. Maybe if it was flavored, I'd try one. They do have some flavors. I saw in some of the articles I read about they've added flavors kind of recently. Nestle has added flavors to the Perrier line. Plain bubbly water doesn't do much mm, for me. No. And a, a weird side note about Perrier's production process. Although Perrier is naturally carbon as it comes right out of the spring, the water and the CO2 are captured separately. Instead of keeping the water carbonated throughout the purification process, they just decided it's easier to add the carbonation back in right before they put it in the bottle. Interesting. It was going flat as they purified it, so they decided, oh, well, we'll just take the CO2 and then we'll inject it in because it's the same way that Coke or Pepsi inject CO2 into their syrup, they're just injecting the CO2 back into the water. Well, Perrier claims the amount of carbonation in the bottle is identical to what comes out of the spring, but because of this recarbonating process, the FDA forced Perrier to remove the words naturally sparkling from their label in 1990. Rex goes into a tune called Tinkerbell by the Ian Thomas Band. from Ian's 1978 album, Still Here. You can see the album cover sitting on the console in front of Rex. It's a cool painting of an electric guitar floating in a life ring. If you're a U.S. music listener, you probably don't know Ian Thomas. He's only had one U.S. Hot 100 single, 1973's Painted Ladies, and it only went to number 35. If you're a Canadian music listener, you might be doing handsprings at the mention of Ian Thomas. He's been a regular part of Canadian music charts almost continuously since 1973. Thomas has had numerous solo Canadian hits. He's also scored Canadian hits with a 90s band he was in called The Boomers, and he had an early 2000s band called Lunch at Allen's. Plus... For us, this is a huge bonus. Ian Thomas is the younger brother to SCTV star Dave Thomas. And yes, Dave Thomas is one of the McKenzie brothers. I love Ian just for that. I don't care about the music career, just that he's Dave Thomas's brother. Les and Johnny walk down the hallway toward the door to the bullpen. And we warned you as we move into the hallway, it's time for another poster watch. Yay! The large Yellow Jackets banner on the wall between Les and Johnny is a promo for their 1981 self-titled album. The Yellow Jackets were a jazz fusion trio originally formed as a backing band for guitarist Robin Ford. 
Amazingly, the Yellow Jackets are still at it. In their 43-year history, the band has recorded 25 albums and received 17 Grammy nominations, winning two. They also have a very cool current website with all of their information on it, pictures of the band, information about tour dates. So if you're into Yellow Jackets, check it Mm. out. They're still very, very active. To the left of the studio door on the wall, you can see a poster promoting Shaka Khan's 1981 solo release, What You Gonna Do For Me. Her real name was Yvette Marie Stevens, but she'd been known as Shaka Khan since 1970. This was Khan's first solo release after her final departure from the band Rufus. She had already scored a solo hit in 1978 with the crossover disco cut I'm Every Woman. What You're Gonna Do For Me will peak at number 17 on the album charts in the U.S. The title track peaks at number 53 in May of 1981 on the U.S. Hot 100. was nominated for Best R&B Vocal Performance Female at the 1981 Grammys. We don't get to see this one until a bit later, but through the door at the end of the hallway is a large poster promoting Ricky Lee Jones' second solo album, Pirates. It was released in July of 1981 on Warner Brothers Records. The album is partially devoted to her breakup with fellow musician Tom Waits after the success of her 1979 debut. Pirates evaded the usual sophomore slump by going to number five on the U.S. album charts and notching top tens around the world. This poster in the oversized version is somewhat rare. We did find a copy going for $86 on a collectible site. I am kind of proud of this next one. There is a poster on the door leading into the bullpen, and I caught a glimpse of it as Les grabbed the door to open it. Mm-hmm. It's a picture of three men and two women. This is a promo for Los Angeles-based funk and R&B group Dynasty. This poster is promoting their third studio album, which for some reason was called The Second Adventure. (laughs) Dynasty was a club and dance band created by Solar label founder Dick Griffey. And Solar stands for Sound of Los Angeles Records. Dynasty would be anchored by Leon Silvers III and Nidra Beard, both formerly of The Silvers. Dynasty only had one Hot 100 hit. In 1980, a song called I've Just Begun to Love You would peak at number 87, so barely a Hot 100 hit. Dynasty continued performing through 1989. They did score several R&B chart hits. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Entire left thumb. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. 
Les asks Johnny why he can't stay in his own apartment. Johnny explains they're fumigating. For what? Lizards. Les isn't sure about this. Lizards? Yeah, I've seen them. Big ones? Uh, sometimes. Les asks Johnny if he doesn't sometimes wish he hadn't abused his youth with chemicals and fast living. Johnny tells Les sometimes... There's a non-sequitur air to this occasionally that cracks me up. Too late now, of course. Yeah. A wild, misspent youth. It's made you old before your time. You're lucky to even be alive. And yet, I'm homeless. Les tells Johnny that he can't stay with him. Why not? You're messy. (laughs) I can see Johnny being messy. You know, when we've been in his apartment, though, it's not bad. No, we've, it's we've not been in there bad, a few times. But it's definitely a bachelor pad. Yeah, and <laughs> you know when Justin, his daughter's boyfriend, found the science fair project on the counter, there were a few things in Johnny's apartment <laughs> that are not great. Andy comes into the pull pen and he the, the pull pen. pen. Andy comes into the bullpen and says, "Hey to Les and Johnny." Sorry, I was <laughs> I was getting. I was getting a drink. Andy appears to be wearing a Sun Records shirt, a tight Sun Records shirt. (laughs) Andy, perfect. Thank you. Listen. I love that line. Johnny tells Andy he needs a couple of things. He needs tomorrow off, and he needs to stay a couple of days with Andy. Uh, Yes and no. Uh, Yes, you can have tomorrow off, and no, you cannot stay with me. Johnny asks him why not. Well, Andy says he already has someone staying with him. Elderly gentleman, Asian. Those are all the details I can give you right now, John. We don't think Andy's being truthful about his guest. Mm, No, Johnny starts to beg. I gave you the day off, didn't I? Johnny tells Andy he really doesn't need the day off. He doesn't have anything to do. (laughs) Why'd he ask for it in the first place? (laughs) Go find something to do. I think you need a rest. As a matter of fact, why don't you take a full week off? So Andy thinks Johnny's been looking tired lately. He'll get Rex Earhart to sit in for Johnny's slot. The logo on Andy's t-shirt is the distinctive 45 label from Memphis-based Sun Records. Sun was founded by Sam Phillips in 1952. Sun quickly became known as the birthplace of rock and roll. Phillips' list of rock and rockabilly performers was jaw-dropping. Sun Records was the first label to record Elvis Presley, Roy Orbison, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, and Johnny Cash, just to name a few. The album and eventual musical, The Million Dollar Quartet, is about Sun Records. He'd shake his head and say, I don't want no other love. Baby, it's just you are. He'd say, mm, Well, then I don't want to stop thinking of me. <laughs> Man, he sung the hell out of the song, man. I was on the table looking at him. Saying he'll use Rex to fill Johnny's slot sets Johnny off. What are you going to do, test Earhart in my time slot? Run a little phone survey? Maybe slip me into Sunday morning? Andy tells Johnny he's being paranoid, which brings us to... The line of the episode. Hey, Travis, what? when everybody is out to get you, paranoid is just good thinking. <laughs> <laughs> And this episode has a lot of great lines in it. There is a lot of funny stuff in this episode, but this one is practically a T-shirt. So that's how this one became the line (laughs) of the episode. Great T-shirt. Oh, it would have. Andy only wants Johnny to take some time off and get some rest. Johnny says okay, but he reminds Andy he still needs a place to stay. 
Andy just turns at the end of the hallway and boom, he's gone. <laughs> Johnny sees Herb heading to the bullpen door. He calls after him. Charlie. Oh, man. <laughs> Check out Herb. It's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb is wearing a brown, tan, blue, gray, white, and orange <laughs> plaid suit jacket with the same plaid pants. His tie is tan with brown diagonal stripes. He is wearing his white belt. <laughs> we have seen this suit before, but this suit is so striking, even though you've seen it before. Every he has, time he walks in. Yeah, he has several like that that really, it oh, doesn't matter man. if you've seen it before. And you know, if you paired that coat with solid pants, it would mute it down a lot. But the fact that the coat and the pants are the same pattern and yes. a full suit is... It's a lot of plaid wow. coming at you. Herb tells Johnny, whatever it is, he didn't do it. Herb continues on into the bullpen with Johnny following closely behind. And even if I did do it, I don't think I'd have to answer to you for it. No. He's <laughs> <laughs> kind of working. The, the higher, paranoid. The hierarchy of the uh, <laughs> authority in the station. Herb walks over to his desk as Johnny continues talking. You remember uh, a couple of years ago? I love this reaction. <laughs> Herb looks up to the ceiling. He is really trying to remember a couple of years ago, and he hones in on something. Yeah. <laughs> Herb continues looking spaced out. When your wife threw you out? Yeah. <laughs> oh, now he's got it. So Johnny reminds Herb he stayed at Johnny's apartment. It's been really great having Herb here the last two nights. Tomorrow night, you get him. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I don't. Oh, yes, you do. And not only that, my friend, but you get the bullfighter on real black velvet. You get the battery-powered go-go dancing novelty sensation. You get the color-coordinated, reprocessed styrofoam clothing. That was in the first season episode, Never Leave Me Lucille. Yeah. And, and you said if uh, you could ever return the favor, you would. I was lying. Johnny leans down on the DJ desk, and he looks at her. Aren't you ashamed having the ethics of a fungus? Just shakes his head. Nah, he didn't care. Johnny is telling Herb how desperate he is for a place to stay just as Bailey walks into the bullpen. Bailey hears the tail end of Johnny's plea. Oh, well, you can stay at my place. Johnny's shocked, <laughs> but he's also thrilled. Bailey, you saved my life. Bless your heart. Well, it is a messy business, but somebody's got to do it. Bailey gets her key out of her purse and hands it to Johnny. He takes it and heads out the door, telling her he'll see her when she gets home. Bailey, don't worry. I can be very good. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Johnny leaves the bullpen. He's <laughs> like a dog. I, I can be good. I won't get up on the furniture. All right, I got a little technical workshop thing here. When Bailey first enters the bullpen, I caught a bit of a feedback ring in the sound system. I didn't really hear it until I put it on the headphones. But feedback is caused when a mic picks up the output from a speaker. It starts out as a little bit of a ringing, then it builds to that familiar feedback whine that everybody knows. Since WKRP was being recorded in front of a live audience, the performers were being amplified. When Bailey walks in, her higher register voice just catches a frequency and it causes the PA to almost feed back. Listen for it. You can hear it right here. Well, you can stay at my place. 
Really? Sure. I thought it was enough to make Frank Bonner look off camera when it happened. His head whips around right when the feedback starts. And I was thinking since, you know, Frank also is a director, he was thinking they're going to call cut because there's a technical error. They're getting this feedback. But instead, the sound guy got it under control by turning down the output and they continued on with the scene. But you had kind of an interesting take on this about Frank. You don't think he was looking over there because of the feedback. No, the feedback happens right after Bailey says, you can stay at my place, Frank Bonner or Herb. He was Herb here. He was in character. I think he looked over at Les. Les is back at his desk. And I think he was shocked. And he looked over at Les to see if Les was hearing this. Yeah, I don't think he was uh, reacting to the sound because he was in character. And you don't think he would have broken and character? I don't think he would have broken character to do that. He he has been a director in the past, but with this episode, he's, uh, he's, he's Herb. Frank. He's Herb. And I'm actually starting to kind of come over to your side of things. Because when I first wrote this up, I was just thinking about it as him being a director and responding to mm-hmm. a technical thing I think happening. he's too professional to have done that in and front I, of a live audience. I agree with you. I don't think he would have broken character. So I'm probably coming over to your side. But either way, Wise we, choice, we, did get a, <laughs> <laughs> we did get a feedback ring there, though. Yes. And, it, and it's one of those things that when it happens, it really, when you're up on the stage, you really hear it because you're in the middle of that that Mm -hmm. loop that's happening. So they would have all been aware of it. But you keep going. Yeah. So Les, who's been at his desk this whole time, asks Bailey, where is she going? I didn't know you were going out of town. Bailey tells Les she isn't going out of town. Well, Les is shocked. And Les appears to be reading a copy of National Hog (laughs) Farmer. What? (laughs) What, what? Well? Well, what? You're a woman. He's a man. Don't be an animal, Herb. <laughs> on the way I see him. Bailey tells Herb and Les she can't believe them. Mr. Carlson enters the bullpen with perfect timing to catch. Well, I'm shocked. I'm amazed. I'm stunned. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Carlson looks from Bailey to Herb and to Les. Well, I guess everything's normal here. And he walks out. Love those art bits where he catches the tail end of a conversation. He does that a lot. So Les was reading a copy of National Hog Farmer magazine. National Hog Farmer, or the cool abbreviation NHF, is considered the business authority when it comes to hog farming in the United States. National Hog Farmer is a part of the Farm Progress Network of Media Outlets. They've been in publication for more than 50 years, but it appears as of 2018, they've gone to all digital hog news delivery. Les's print edition is no more. The NHF website claims 1.1 million page views a year from U.S. hog farmers and possibly Les Nessman. As the shock and amazement continues in the bullpen, we head into our theme. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back from break in the studio where we hear the station identification. And this is new. We get a clip of Johnny's theme music. WKRP. Fever in the morning. Fever in the morning. (laughs) 
<laughs> We've never heard that before. However, we see Rex is sitting in for Johnny. Hey, whoops. No doctor today, but good morning to you, my friendlies. Uh, this is Erhan. Rex begins pouring from his bottle of Perrier for the sound effect, but the glass isn't where it's supposed to be, and sparkling mineral water goes all over the counter and into his lap. On the early side for you, hoping to help you start your day with a smile on your face and love in your heart. Rex starts playing Our Lips Are Sealed by the Go-Go's. Rex then gets back on the mic and addresses Johnny. And, uh, hey, Johnny, if you're listening, and I know you are, don't you worry about a thing, because us young guys are on the case picking up the pieces you old guys let fall. <laughs> hey, you know I'm kidding. <laughs> Rex is giving Johnny grief about being an old guy, Quick age check. Sam Anderson was born in May of 1945. Howard Hessman was born in February of 1940. The big age difference Rex is talking about is a total of five years. We also wanted to mention in the days of live announcers and personality radio, program directors would oftentimes encourage air talent to rib each other about their shows. Sometimes air personalities would create on-air feuds from one show to the other. It was a great cross-promotion. Having the morning guy ripping on the afternoon drive guy would cause people to tune in for the afternoon show. They wanted to hear the response. I also wanted to mention while researching the ages on these guys, I picked up a new tidbit about Howard Hessman. Howard is not his first name. His real first name is George, and Howard is his middle name. On the console, in front of Rex, you can see the cover of the Go-Go's 1981 debut album, Beauty and the Beat. The cover is a drawing made from a picture of the ladies in face cream, towels around their bodies, and towels wrapped around their heads. The album had been released in July of 1981. Beauty and the Beat yielded two big hits— our Lips Are Sealed, which Rex is playing, and We've Got the Beat. Although we now kind of class them as power pop, the Go-Go's were considered a new wave band at the time they first came out. The album was not expected to do much. It surprised everyone by climbing to the number one spot on the U.S. album chart by March of 1982. It would hold that top spot for an incredible six weeks. To this day, it is the only number one album from an all-female band writing their own material and playing their own instruments. Beauty and the Beat was certified double platinum in 1982, and it continues to be one of the most successful debut albums of all time. Our Lips Are Sealed was a top 10 hit in Australia and Canada. It peaked at number 20 on the U.S. Hot 100. Interesting note, Rex mentions it went to number 15 on WKRP's Super Hit Survey. In a weird case of life imitating art, the song did peak at number 15 on Billboard's relatively new chart, Hot Mainstream Rock Tracks. As we're listening to Rex, we cross-cut into Bailey's Kitchen, where Johnny is standing. He's got bedhead, he's wearing a robe, and he's listening to Rex on the radio while fixing himself a bowl of cereal. You can tell by his facial expression he's not thrilled about what he just heard on his own show. 
We hear Rex say it's 7.45 a.m., 51 degrees out with an expected high of 68. Oh, guys, what's that supposed to mean? Oh. A door opens and Bailey comes out. She's wearing a nightgown. She tells Johnny good morning. Want some uh, vitamin-rich bits of cardboard? (laughs) (laughs) Bailey holds up her hand, and instead she pours herself a glass of orange juice. She asks why Johnny's up. He's supposed to be on vacation. Johnny responds. Bailey asked Johnny if he slept all right. He said he slept fine. Johnny continues eating his bowl of cereal. He looks admiringly at Bailey. You look great in the morning. Oh, thank you. So do you. Bailey asks if they can turn the radio volume down. Johnny's only too happy to oblige. Johnny says he hopes he didn't wake her. He's been up since 4 a.m. Just in the habit of getting up then, I guess. Bailey is folding up a newspaper. Well, I guess you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Johnny stops mid-bite and looks at Bailey. What do you mean, old dog? Bailey tells him it's just a figure of speech. There's no dog involved. (laughs) They both walk over to a small dinette table and sit down. You know what they're doing. They're trying to get rid of me. Bailey tells him not to be ridiculous. So young, Bailey. But then so am I in a way. Bailey tells Johnny if they were going to fire him, they'd have done it a long time ago. Not fire. Worse, they're going to move me to another time slot. Bailey's not very reassuring. She tells Johnny she guesses it's possible. A couple of quick observations in Bailey's apartment. On a background cabinet in the right of the shot is a poster for the Sea Shepherd Society. Sea Shepherd had been founded in 1977 by Paul Watson after Watson was ousted from the board of Greenpeace. Watson is a rebel who believes in direct action on the high seas. Tactics he used to stop whaling and illegal fishing have landed him in hot water numerous times over the years. He's been called a pirate and has gone so far as to ram fishing and whaling vessels. The Sea Shepherd Society is still in operation today. It's been featured in the Discovery Channel series Whale Wars and Ocean Warriors. A war rages in the far reaches of planet Earth. Antarctica's pristine waters run red with blood. The Sea Shepherds are the soldiers who wage this war. They're led into battle by Captain Paul Watson. Their enemy is a group of Japanese fishermen whose chosen catch is whales. We get a great shot of the newspaper that Bailey's reading. It is, of course, the Cincinnati Enquirer. Although the episode didn't air until the end of October, it looks like they maybe were getting things shot early at the start of the season, or this was an old paper that had been hanging around on the set. This edition of the Enquirer is dated Wednesday, September 16th, of 1981. And I bet it was printed right there in the building where we were staying I while we were in Cincinnati. Bet it was. It was composed there. It was written there. It was printed there. And I looked it up. You said, how many papers does she have there? Well, this is back in the she time. she folded. It looked like a big stack. And this is a Wednesday edition of the paper. It had 103 pages wow. in it. Wow. Cincinnati had a lot to say. They did. And this was back before any digital delivery was happening. So everything got on a page. Johnny puts his spoon down. Bailey. Like cold steel through the lower intestines. <laughs> he tells Bailey Travis is testing Earhart. He goes on to say the top man always has the morning drive time slot. I'm the top man. I pull the numbers at KRP. Except they think I'm getting old. 
Earhart even says so on the air. Johnny says he can understand it's all business with Travis. Lower intestine stuff. <laughs> this is truly the morning of the long knives for John Caravella. First, it's the 10 a.m. slot, and it'll be two in the afternoons. Then I'll be doing Sunday morning interviews with psychics who work for the water department. <laughs> Lower intestine stuff. Johnny references psychics working in municipal utilities so often in this episode, we had to look it up. We found an article in Municipal Water and Sewer Magazine, and yes, there really is one, saying the Baltimore Water Department had been consulting a Madame LaRue about proactively identifying potential leaks. Hmm. Could Johnny be right? Are psychics really working for municipal utilities? Well, then we noticed the post date. The article was posted April 1st of 2018. We think the gang at Municipal Water and Sewer was playing an April Fool's joke. The origin of Johnny's information remains unverified. Bailey rolls her eyes and tells Johnny nothing is going on. I would have heard. She tells him he is on vacation in her apartment. Just relax. Enjoy your stay here. Enjoy your life. Go for walks. Read. Take a second and note the beauty that's around you. See it. Feel it. Bailey puts her hand on the side of Johnny's head and she runs her fingers through his hair as he turns to look at her. Reach out and touch that beauty. (laughs) Take advantage of your situation. Um, a word to Bailey. Think about what you're saying. This is a guy you once asked out. Bailey plays with Johnny's hair as she talks. Johnny has a shocked and confused look on his face. Feel what's really important in your life. For once, reach out and grab it. You can see Johnny is really misinterpreting what Bailey's saying. Unlike former receptionist Joyce Armour, Bailey doesn't seem to be doing this on purpose. She grabs the collar of Johnny's robe. She's looking him right in the eye. Bailey tells Johnny he has to go for it. Now I gotta go put some clothes on. Bailey pats Johnny from the back and (laughs) goes into her bedroom. Johnny's left staring after her. He turns his head right towards camera. You can see he's really pondering what just happened. In this next scene, Andy gives Jennifer the green light to remodel the lobby, which she does. The lobby remodel becomes one of the only ongoing story arcs in the entire series. Demolition starts in this episode, and the lobby will undergo various stages of reconstruction for the next three episodes. We don't get to see the final product of Jennifer's handiwork until the episode, Jennifer and the Will. We fade up in the lobby with Andy talking to Jennifer about redecorating. I mean, and I think it's time we fix this place up. We're a top 10 station now. It's time we start looking like it. And I believe we should start with this room. Jennifer is thrilled. This is right up her alley. She asks Andy if he has the money. Yep. Andy's smiling at her. Jennifer offers to help. I've been told I have a certain flair. Jennifer gives her head a little shake as she says this. Andy tells Jennifer, go for it. He tells her to do whatever it takes to make the lobby say, hi, we're successful. This is an important place to be. We are substantial. Uh, You know, keeping in mind, of course, that it must say we're radio. (laughs) Jennifer tells him, consider it done. Andy leaves the lobby. You can see the wheels in Jennifer's head turning. Visitors will be very impressed until they talk to someone. (laughs) 
And for me, that was a potential line of the episode yes, right there. That's a, There's that's a good so line too. many great lines in this episode. Herb and Les enter the lobby from the main entrance. Oh, and once again, it's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb is wearing a purple and shades of lavender plaid jacket with a purple dress shirt. He has a tie with purple and white diagonal stripes over a purple and white plaid background. <laughs> He's wearing his white belt, but brown and white two-toned shoes. Oops, <laughs> threw it off there. So much purple. <laughs> Herb is telling Les, this is a great idea. He's also pitched it to Travis, and he liked it. But you know, you could call it uh, business about business. You know, interview a few businessmen. They tell you about their companies, how moral they are. It's interesting. Les looks at Herb. You only want me to interview people that advertise with us. Yeah. Les tells Herb he doesn't think that's right. You don't know how anything works, do you? They both walk up to Jennifer's desk to look through the mail. She tells them both good morning. Hiya, gorgeous. Anything going on? There is that problem in the Middle East. Problem in the Middle East? Just one? In 1981, the list was long. Iraq invaded Iran, Syria and Israel were backing Lebanese factions, and of course, Israel was clashing with the PLO. It's kind of an all-purpose punchline. What's more interesting than the Middle East is Les's hesitation to do Herb's show. Promoting advertisers in news stories has long been a battle between sales and news. Salespeople always want to feature clients in positive news stories, even if they're fluff. Serious journalists like Les feel having the news dictated by sales compromises editorial integrity. A show like Herb's would most likely have been dismissed as a puff piece by a serious news department. Bailey enters the lobby from the bullpen door. She tells them all, good morning. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? Oh, not really. Late night. <laughs> Herb nudges <laughs> less with his elbow. But that's right. <laughs> Bailey turns towards Herb a bit menacingly. And this is what I thought should have been line of the episode, so we're calling it line of the episode honorable, honorable mention. mention. Continuity is so important. Thank you for always being a jerk. Don't <laughs> <laughs> that could be a shirt, too. Yes, it could. <laughs> Herb tells Bailey not to get so upset, but she is the talk of the town. Herb heads to the door leading to the bullpen. Come on, Les. Buzz off, Herb. <laughs> you see Herb stop for a second, then continue on through the doorway. Jennifer turns to look at Bailey. So how's everything? Pretty good. That's good. Mm-hmm. So everything's going well? Great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Good. Really good. How's Johnny? Weird. Oh, golly. <laughs> Les hurries out of the lobby. <laughs> Jennifer is smiling at Bailey. That's interesting. How weird. Jennifer raises her eyebrows a couple of times as she asks this. Bailey looks disgusted. You too? Jennifer, what is going on with everybody around here? Oh, Jennifer likes a little good gossip, too. So Bailey walks over towards Carlson's office just as Art is coming out. What exactly is this? What is this a radio station? <laughs> <laughs> I love the delivery of that line. So Bailey looks art in the face. I can promise you I am doing nothing wrong. Well, that's good, Bailey. Thanks for telling me that. Carlson, feeling a bit flustered, turns and heads back into his office. We head now into Andy's office where he has one foot up on his desk as he talks with Venus, who's sitting on the couch. Now, let's take a look at Venus's vibin' threads. 
Venus is wearing a dark red jacket with blue lining and a side zipper. There's a gold crest that says Venezia on the left zippered pocket. He's wearing a gray cap with gray pants. That patch on Venus's jacket features what's called the Venetian Lion. It's the symbol of the city of Venice, Italy. It was also used extensively by the Venezia clothing line as decoration. The lion on the patch has wings, and it's holding a book in its paw. There's also a halo around his head. The book is the Gospel of St. Mark. The lion represents St. Mark the Evangelist, who is the patron saint of Venice. And we haven't been in the programming office in a while. So it's time for a poster watch in programming. Yay! There is an album cover poster positioned under the monitor behind Andy's desk. This is the cover to Oingo Boingo's first full-length album called Only a Lad. What was Danny Elfman doing before writing all those movie soundtracks? Well, he was fronting this eight-man new wave band. There were no charted hits, but the title cut would make a splash in Southern California. ROQ, K-Rock LA, got behind the band and supported them extensively in Los Angeles. The exposure put Elfman and the Boingos in front of the right people. They would score a minor hit with their 1985 theme to the movie Weird Science. The cover art to this album is a parody of the 1960 Boy Scout handbook cover painted by Norman Rockwell. In the Oingo Boingo version, a Boy Scout in an old-fashioned uniform is walking through a bleak, wintry landscape. As you look more closely at the lad, you notice his uniform is cut and ripped. He may even be bleeding, but he's still got that I can do anything, smile on his face. If you look to the right of Andy while he's seated at his desk, you'll see a tan poster with the outline of Africa on it. This is a promo for Mick Fleetwood's 1981 solo album, The Visitor. The Visitor was a side project for the Fleetwood Mac co-founder. It was recorded entirely in Accra, Ghana in January and February of 1981. Notable guests helping out on various tracks include Peter Green and George Harrison. The album hit number 43 on the U.S. Billboard album chart in August of 1981. Directly above Andy's head is a tan promo square with what looks like a Middle Ages woodcut in the center. This is a promotion for the Crosby, Stills, and Nash 1980 retrospective called Replay. This album is their second retrospective. Their first, The Incredible So Far, from 1974, had shipped as a gold record and peaked at number one. Replay would have no such success. It's a mess of previously released material. 
both from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and solo projects. But no big hits. It was called A Cash Grab by David Crosby and only peaked at number 122 on the album chart. This was their first album to not hit the top 10. Over to the left of the filing cabinets is a poster for Supertramp's live Paris album. This one was in the hall outside of the bullpen for several episodes. The bumper sticker wall is packed and growing. I was almost thinking it looks like they've stuck another panel added to Andy's back wall. It's almost like wallpaper covering the entire wall. covering everything just to accommodate the ever-growing collection. And a personal favorite for me, I caught an Animal Stories mobile unit bumper sticker from WLS in Chicago, which was a favorite station of mine growing up. Get your greasy little face up next to the radio because it's time for America's favorite radio program, Animal Stories. And now here in person is the Animal Stories news team anchorman, I, your charming and delightful old Uncle Lair, and him in in person, little Tommy. Hi, Tommy. Good morning, Uncle Lair. Good morning. Hi, everybody. We hear Your Old Lady by David Lindley playing over the speaker. Listen, what do you think of uh, Herb Tarlick's uh, business uh, interview show? Andy, as ideas go, I think it's perfectly Iranian. (laughs) Andy tells Venus it might bring some business back into this place. It's Iranian? (laughs) Besides, I'm going to give it to Bailey instead of Les, so it might work. The song we're hearing on the monitor, Your Old Lady, comes from David Lindley's April 1981 debut called El Rayo X. Jackson Brown provides backing vocals on three of the tracks and acts as producer. An all-music critic described the album as combining blues, rock and roll, Zydeco, Middle Eastern, and other elements. There were no hits, but the album did spend 18 weeks on the album chart, peaking at number 83 in July of 1981. Venus looks at Andy with an impish little grin, and he asks Andy if he knows Johnny's staying at Bailey's. You notice how everybody gets this look when they start talking about this. They all get this kind of conspiratorial, gossipy look, and Venus has got it. Andy asks him what he means. Johnny's staying in Bailey's apartment, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Andy walks over behind the couch. Of course, nothing's happening. No. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) And she's got a pretty small place, too. (laughs) And you know, these two together, almost as much fun as Johnny and Venus together. I like just the these two working off of each other. And they're doing that junior high kind of guy thing. Oh, and they're out of control laughing where you can't speak because you're just so (laughs) overcome. And they just keep chuckling even more. Can you believe that? That old fox. (laughs) And then Venus gets into this howling thing. Both of them are laughing, and Venus starts to howl. (laughs) 
Andy is on his knees behind Venus. He's laughing uncontrollably. When suddenly, the door to Andy's office opens and Bailey sticks her head in. Venus and Andy freeze. Am I interrupting anything? It's like the principal <laughs> caught them or something. And that noise. Oh, that noise that Venus made. <laughs> Venus and Andy both shake their heads. Uh, no, man. <laughs> Andy stands back up. Bailey comes into the office and looks at Venus. Venus, I don't believe I've ever heard you howl before. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do it all the time. It's a medical problem, lunar thing. <laughs> Venus makes this kind of strangled noise after that third howl when Bailey when opens Bailey interrupts, the door. Yes. It kills me every time. <laughs> it's like I choked or something. <laughs> Andy has his back to Bailey, and he's covering his mouth. He's trying to hold in the laughter. Andy, first I'd like to tell you something about Johnny. And that sets him off. Venus and Andy can't help it. They start laughing. Bailey's looking at him, confused. What's with you guys? You two go ahead and talk. I'm just going to lay down here a second. Falls down onto the floor behind the couch, continuing to laugh as Venus turns completely away with his back to Bailey. He cannot hide his Snickers. Bailey asks them if this has something to do with Johnny staying at her apartment. No. <laughs> and Venus gets this very serious look on his face and he turns towards Bailey. Absolutely not. <laughs> but he loses it and begins laughing again. He turns his back to Bailey. What is everybody thinking around here? Disgusted, Bailey turns to leave Andy's office. And just as she turns, the door to Andy's office opens and Rex Earhart comes in, bumping into her. They hit pretty hard, and it almost looks like Rex is puckering his lips. But I think he's saying, oh, or something. Sorry. I liked it. <laughs> Feel free to touch me anytime. Oh, well, I can't believe I said that. I mean, that's not really me. I'm not really like, I mean, guys probably you say that too? to you all the time. What? Well, Bailey has had enough. What are you guys? 11 years old or what? Bailey leaves in a huff. I love how Venus could only hold it together for two words. Absolutely not. And sometimes you hear him going, <gasps> that noise that you make when you're trying not to blast out. So Rex walks on into Andy's office and we get a good look at Rex's outfit. <laughs> He is wearing short, short, navy blue polyester shorts and tight with a white <laughs> knit collared short sleeve shirt and a white sweater draped around his neck by the sleeves. He is the tennis instructor from hell. He's <laughs> drinking his sparkling water straight from the green glass bottle. Rex walks over and leans on the filing cabinets. We can hear Andy laughing still from behind the couch. Venus still with his back. Back to the office door, he continues to laugh. Nice looking chick. <laughs> kind of cranky, though. I hear Johnny squeezing her. Uh-oh, you don't talk about little sis mm -mm. like that. Andy pops up from behind the couch, and Venus turns around to face Rex. They are both suddenly very serious. He's staying in her house. He is a guest in her home. Nothing more than that, Rex. Obviously, you do not know Bailey Quarters very well. Jeez. Okay, 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 I'm sorry. I kind of thought it was a little odd how they seem to treat Rex like he's the new guy. Rex has been around there a while. We've never met him, but they have. He's in the station doing his shift every single day. He knows Bailey well, surely, and he takes over from Johnny every day at 10. 
So when Venus and Andy get on him about his comment, it almost feels like they're protecting Bailey from an outsider when Rex is really part of the family. Yeah, I got that too. Rex holds his arms out and he apologizes. He then asks if they caught his show this morning. It was a good show. It was, it was some funny stuff. So you want me to keep doing it all week? Rex is <laughs> nodding his head and smiling as he asks this. Creepy. Andy tells him he'll let him know later this afternoon. So Andy's still considering whether or not he wants to keep Rex in Johnny's spot all week. Rex starts to leave, then turns back at the door. I'll be around. Thanks for the warning. After the door closes, Venus looks at Andy and asks him what he sees in that guy. Andy says that probably the number two most program directory thing he's ever said on the show. All DJs are crazy. Venus gives Andy a look. And you remember number one was when Venus had a gun on him. No DJ has ever pointed a gun at me before. Not at any station I've ever worked. Oh, sure. I mean, we've had some problems before. I think that's the number one program directory thing he's ever said. Back at Bailey's apartment, Johnny is in near darkness. He's fluffing the plants. We hear him (laughs) sing a short snip of He's So Fine as he's getting ready for Bailey to come home from work. We also hear Getting Up by Tom Scott playing in the background. The lights are very low, and Johnny has a bottle of wine in his hands. He crosses to the table where there are two lit candles. Johnny's talking to himself as he sets the wine down and arranges things on the table. Okay, see the beauty that's all around you? Take advantage of your situation. What do I care about work? I know what's important to me, and I'm going for it. <laughs> yeah, he really misinterpreted that. Mm-hmm. So the tune Johnny has playing is Getting Up. It comes from Tom Scott's 1981 album with the LA Express called Apple Juice. Scott's only had one minor hit, but you may know his name. Tom Scott has been a major music scene fixture for more than 50 years. He was one of the sax players in the Blues Brothers Band, and he wrote the themes for both Starsky and Hutch and the streets of San Francisco. Scott provided the scorching sax line and listened to what the man said for Paul McCartney and Wings. also led the house band on late night talk shows, the Pat Sajak show, and the Chevy Chase show. Scott had appeared as a guest musician on albums for everybody. Blondie. Steely Dan. The Grateful Dead. George Harrison. Whitney Houston. Quincy Jones. Carol King. And Pink Floyd. That just begins to scratch the surface of Scott's list of more than 100 contributions to other projects. You know what, though? I don't think Tom Scott was very good at picking his late-night talk shows. No, no. He, <laughs> he had Pat a couple Sajak of bad show ones and there. The Chevy Chase show, both really short-lived. So we hear the door to the apartment open. Bailey walks in, and immediately she flips on the lights. You're home! I know. <laughs> Do you know what is going on at the station? Bailey's dropped her keys on the table. She's not noticing the candles or the really romantic dinner all set up with wine included. 
Johnny tells her he could care less about what's happening at the station. You better. Well, I know what's important to me now. You think you know people. Yeah. You think you know how they feel about you. You don't know. I have been taking the heat all day for something I haven't even done. Bailey, that's why I want to tell you how I feel about you. You know what they think? They think that we're up to something here. They think that we're carrying on like I'm some sort of floozy. They think that we're probably sleeping together. Oh, dear, no. (laughs) It's true. It's an insult to me, and it's an insult to you in particular. We'll just have to learn to live with it. Bailey tells Johnny she won't have them thinking that about her or about him. Yeah, you're right. Johnny realizes his plans are shot, and his mood doesn't about face. Bailey tells Johnny she talked to Venus, and Venus doesn't think Andy's going to move Rex into Johnny's time slot. But if he were, this would be a perfect way to do it. Johnny looks defeated. Really? I think I'll just take a long, hot bath and go to bed. Bailey turns and goes into her bedroom. I'll just slip into my robe so as not to catch a chill. Johnny walks over to the couch and reaches under the cushion. He pulls his robe out from under the couch cushion and he puts it on. So this is how it ends. Knock with a big slam-bang-out chorus. Just a slow crossfade segue to senility. Johnny blows out the candles and the screen fades to black. So we went into a commercial break. We come back from commercial still in Bailey's apartment and we pick up right where we left off. Johnny's clearing the dining table and still talking to himself. Still won't be all bad doing the all Sunday show. Johnny holds a spoon up to his mouth like it's a microphone. Tell me, Mrs. Devon Haven. How long has the water department been hiring psychics? (laughs) Excuse me, darling, I'm sorry. Right now, we've got to join our regular broadcast live from the Church of Our Lady of Perpetual Misery in Mount Healthy, Ohio. So I want to drop a quick note in here about Sunday mornings. As a part-timer, I worked a lot of Sunday mornings. Full-timers don't normally work weekends. Our Sunday mornings when I was in high school were a pretty easy gig. We ran a few pre-recorded music programs that were an hour long, and they already had the commercials in them. We also ran big chunks of local church services, so you could put something on and let it run for half an hour. Because of the programming, a lot of stations refer to their Sunday morning shift as the God Squad. The door to Bailey's bedroom opens, and Bailey comes out in her robe. John. Yes. You know what? Yep, yep, I know. Getting old. I'm a downhill side to drooling on myself. <laughs> Bailey's been doing some thinking while she took her bath. Bailey tells Johnny if that's what everyone at the station thinks is going on, if they want to indulge in their petty little rumors, then they should just let them. Johnny looks at Bailey. Really? Yes, really. Let's give them their money's worth. Excuse the drool here. I'm with you, Bailey. I really am. He may be a little more with her than she's intending. He takes off his robe. Howard Esmond is just on fire in this episode. He is getting off the best lines, the drool and the the utility psychics. So Bailey puts her arm around Johnny's neck and puts her face right up to his. Tomorrow at the office, Mm -hmm. I'll tell them that something really did go on here tonight. Good, that's very good. Why why be punished for something we haven't even done yet? (laughs) Bailey's smiling. She puts her other arm around Johnny's neck. She clasps her hands behind his head. Let's give them exactly what they want. Let's. 
I'm going to do it too. Me too. (laughs) Johnny's smiling at Bailey. Their faces are so close, it really looks like they're about to kiss. Good night. (laughs) Bailey takes her arms from around Johnny's neck and goes into her bedroom. This is not what Johnny was expecting. Shutting the door, she's gone. Johnny's stunned. He stands motionless for a few seconds. He's been on an emotional roller coaster all day today. Lizards or no lizards, I'm going home. We head into the lobby to find Mr. Carlson coming out of his office. He sees Les struggling to remove a picture from the wall of the lobby. He asks Les what he thinks he's doing. Taking stuff. Well, Mr. Carlson asks Jennifer what's going on. Well, we're getting new furniture for the lobby. Really? Andy ordered it. He what? I'm sure with your approval. Mr. Carlson tells her, of course. Herb points at the floor. Carpet. I want the carpet. Les starts to fight him for it until Jennifer tells Les he can have the desk. I don't think that orange carpet is <laughs> worth fighting for. They're like scavengers. They're yeah. fighting over prey out on the savanna. <laughs> Bailey walks into the lobby. She's wearing tight, tight jeans, Johnny's black death t-shirt, and her hair is tousled and teased into this huge mane. She's going for just got out of bed, but a lot of work has gone into that hair. And she's not wearing her glasses. If you ever see a quote-unquote hot picture of Bailey, it's probably this screenshot. Herb confronts her about her clothes. You're supposed to be doing the business about business interviews today. He tells Bailey these are his clients. He asks why she's dressed like that. Like what? That's Fever's t-shirt. Bailey takes Herb's tie and pulls him in close to her and kind of reminds me during Filthy Pictures when Bailey was giving Andy a hard time. I just grabbed the first thing when I got out of bed this morning. (laughs) I was naked, Herb. And this was on the bed, so I put it on. Bailey looks over at the others. They're all watching with their mouths hanging open in disbelief. Okay, so this is supposed to be Johnny's Black Death t-shirt. But it looks very tailored to Bailey's body. We think another Black Death tee was produced, only this one was specifically created to fit Bailey. I think the producers were maximizing the Bailey guys out there, the the Bailey crush guys. Team Bailey was going to tune in this episode, and they wanted to give them their money's worth. So Bailey walks over towards them. You have to have something to keep you warm. Hi, Les. He winks at him. Les looks away, embarrassed. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Bailey gives a teasing little smile and walks out of the lobby, heading to the bullpen. Mr. Carlson leans down to Jennifer. Do you know what she means? Jennifer tells him she does. And it's very personal. It has to do with rumors and romance, and I'm sorry, sex. Now let's go into your office and I'll explain everything. Jennifer knows what's going on. She knows what Bailey's up to. I think Bailey's whole bit, somewhere in there's a champagne cocktail who's going to raise its ugly head. How about a champagne cocktail? Jennifer turns to Les and Herb. Herb is standing on a chair. Guys, leave the coffee in the sign. What about the light bulbs? They're yours. Herb and Les smile at each other, happy to get the light bulbs. 
Herb reaches up to remove them and burns his hands. <laughs> we cut into Andy's office to find Johnny sitting on the couch. Andy's walking in the door and he's talking to somebody. Because I said so, that's why. The theme from Boat Weirdos by Joe Walsh is playing over the speaker. Andy says hey to Johnny and asks him why he's there. I think you know. Uh, Andy says he doesn't know. Sure you do. Okay. And it better stop. What? Johnny stands up. He starts to pace as he talks. All these rumors about Bailey, pal. I don't think she hasn't heard him. I mean, she is a very nice person, man. She's like a little flower, you know? She generously offers her hospitality to someone, and suddenly she's a brazen hussy. Look, no one ever called her that. And Johnny says that's not the point. The point is she's been hurt. And why? Andy is Taken aback by Johnny's anger. He is really mad. I really like the fact that Johnny was standing up for Bailey like he did. Yeah, but Johnny kind of missed the point as to what Bailey was doing that day. The song playing in this scene is called Theme from Boat Weirdos. It comes from Joe Walsh's 1978 album, But Seriously, Folks. It also included Joe's biggest solo hit, Life's Been Good. Boat Weirdos is a soothing instrumental with a few surf and ocean sounds thrown in. As far as we can tell, Boat Weirdos is its own thing. There was nothing else it was actually a theme to. Andy tells Johnny he's sorry. Look, you know how people are. It's just gossip. Johnny tells Andy he doesn't know how people are. He doesn't deal with gossip and rumors. He likes to deal with plain and simple truth. And speaking of plain, simple truth, don't think for one minute that I am unaware of your plans to relegate me to Sunday morning interviews with demented crazoids who conduct seances for utility companies, okay? (laughs) Johnny looks at Andy. Once in a while, I'd like it if people around here would just offer the truth. Andy rolls his chair up to his desk and he opens a very large ledger in front of him. He takes a pen from the inside pocket of his jacket. All right. You want some truth? There's going to be some changes around here. I know that. And here is a check. Severance pay. No. John, it is a raise. Andy tears the check out of the checkbook. $200 a month. He holds the check out to Johnny. Johnny, like, grabs it out of Andy's hand. He asks if he gets to keep his time slot. Of course, what are you talking about? Uh, Nothing. (laughs) Johnny kisses the check and turns away from Andy, telling him, never mind. Both the ego and the paranoia, very accurate, (laughs) especially for the regular daytime, the rated, the guys who have the promos and their name on the show. A lot of paranoia, a lot of egos. The door to Andy's office opens and Bailey comes in. She is not happy. She tells Andy she was mad before, but now she's really steaming. I just heard that the only reason you gave me Herb's business show was because Les wouldn't do it. Is that true? Oh, well, yeah. Well, thank you very much because I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'll show you guys. Bailey turns to leave Andy's office. Now, before Bailey gets to the door, it opens and Mr. Carlson walks in. Ah, Bailey. Jennifer just told me about your situation. Gee, I I feel badly about it. Bailey thanks Mr. Carlson. He tells her it is unfair. Bailey tells him it's all right. Because I like doing what I do. (laughs) Carlson looks confused. He's thinking about what Jennifer most likely told him earlier. I get off on it. (laughs) 
Les wouldn't do it, but if Les won't do it, I'll do it. Right, John? Right. She likes it. <laughs> Mr. Carlson looks at Johnny with disgust. You swine. <laughs> no, it's fun. I don't have to tell you that, Mr. Carlson. Mr. Carlson is looking very uncomfortable. It's uh, fun, <laughs> I guess. Uh... I live for the opportunity. <laughs> Thank you. Bailey squeezes Mr. Carlson's arm and leaves Andy's office. Oh, four seasons in and clueless Carlson still <laughs> delivers. Oh, Art turns to the others. She should get some help, you know what I mean? <laughs> Are you kidding? She's fine all by herself. Johnny's smiling. He's nodding his head at Carlson. Art puts his hands on his hips and he glares at Johnny. Oh, you disgust me. <laughs> Johnny pats Art on the shoulder, telling him he doesn't need to butter him up. Johnny leaves Andy's office. Art asks Andy if he straightened Johnny out. Yeah. Gave him a raise. <laughs> Carlson can't believe what he's hearing. <laughs> Mr. Carlson is shifting from one foot to the other, and he's wringing his hands. He doesn't know what to say. He looks at Andy. Maybe I better go talk to Jennifer. <laughs> no, be- better yet, I-, I think I'm just going to go right-, right on home. Andy tells him, yeah, that's a good idea. Mr. Carlson tells Andy they are tearing up things in the lobby. Andy says he knows. What's next, Travis? I'm, you know, I'm just asking. Well, I got a very interesting idea for Johnny and Venus together. Andy raises his eyebrows several times at Mr. Carlson. Mr. Carlson is speechless. He doesn't know what to say. He turns and leaves Andy's office. Smiling, Andy sits down in his chair, and the screen fades to black. Such a fun episode. I think Andy likes messing with Mr. Carlson. Oh, he does, and so many great laughs, especially when you get Art embarrassed about sex things. That's when Art is at his funniest. Uh, A fun episode and a chance for Bailey to kind of get out there and uh, show off some comedic chops. So what is up for next week, Donna? We will be discussing Straight from the Heart. Les is being given an award for a news broadcast. Herb claims he's going on vacation, but Jennifer is worried when Herb takes insurance papers with him. Herb checks into a hospital for heart tests, and he asks Les to stay with him. They wind up going to a porn movie, a 3D (laughs) porn movie. Uh, this will be fun. So that's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. You can also find us on social media, follow our Facebook page. And we do have a ton of stuff up there right now from the Cincinnati trip for more WKRP fun, become a patron, go to patreon.com slash WKRP cast for behind the scenes, fun, full interviews and more. Got a question, comment, or correction, let us know about it. Write us, wkrpcast at gmail.com. And remember, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye now. May the good news be yours. WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders.
almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger! <laughs> 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 <laughs>